There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday at 10 a.m. ET to hear new stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Christina Guira and Sheila Hawkins-Bucklew. Christina Guira is founder and CEO of Noya Designs, a Toronto-based web design firm for nonprofits and solopreneurs who have social good baked into their offerings. Christina and her team offer a one-stop design shop providing quality solutions to your marketing problems, including web design, online marketing, videography, and consulting services such as brand development and social media strategy. Sheila Hawkins-Bucklew is founder and CEO of Hawkins-Bucklew Jewelry Designs, an Austin, Texas-based venture creating women's ethos chic statement jewelry. The wearable works of art were designed to help customers express their unique voices, as well as empower the collective voice of female creatives, artisans, and entrepreneurs. Sheila is also the founder of Hawkins Bucklew Realty and Showroom 808. In partnership with the U.S. Embassy in Canada, today we are spotlighting women founders in Canada and the U.S. to learn more about their journeys and the role of cross-border collaboration in their success. Welcome to the show, Christina and Sheila. Hello, Hello. Sheila. Before we get to know each of you a little bit better, we always ask our guests for one brilliant piece of advice to start the show, to let our entrepreneurial listeners know that there's more like this coming up. So let's start with you, Christina, and then we'll go over to Sheila and tell us one bit of advice that, 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 that you hope uh, will really impact our listeners' businesses. Thank you so much, Rick. So the piece of advice I would like to give to Canadian entrepreneurs who may be tuning into this episode is to not be afraid to send your service or your product across the border. You'll be very, very surprised what an exchange of ideas, an exchange of culture can provide to your business and what you can also learn and glean from American entrepreneurs and American culture. So don't be afraid to take that step down to uh, America. 
Fantastic, thank you. Well, hey, Rick and Christina, this is Sheila. Um, thank you so much. I am thrilled to be here with you guys. And if I could offer just some advice uh, at the beginning of our time together, I would say strategic partnerships. The importance of strategic partnerships. I tell you guys, um, having those in place will actually allow entrepreneurs to scale their businesses faster for less money. You know, because it's all about not having to reinvent the, the, the wheel, right, Rick? Tapping into other companies who have done it before will allow you to have a jump start with your uh, business. Fantastic. Thank you, Sheila. Well, we've got you up here. Why don't you get started? Tell us a little bit about your business, uh, your, your businesses, how they started and why you chose to pursue entrepreneurship in the first place. Oh, sure. No problem. Entrepreneurship. Oh, my God. Um, entrepreneurship for me gave me options. At the time, I was a stay-at-home mom and lost about a decade worth of, um, you know, working in corporate America. And so for me, it was an easy way for me to re-enter the marketplace or the workforce, allowing me to, um, to gain the type of income that I uh, wanted to make and, and not to be penalized for those 10 years approximately that I set out from the workforce. So for me, it was all about having options that allowed me to have control over my time because I was still a wife and a mother and also allowing me to erase the pay gap that a lot of women in corporate America um, have to endure. Um, so again, it gave me options to pursue my passions while creating a career path for myself. I was able to design the lifestyle that I wanted to, Rick. Now you're kidding about the part about control over your time though, right, Sheila? Well, no, not at all, because what it allowed me to do is it allowed me to determine when I wanted to work. So for instance, um, when I re-entered the, the, let's say workforce, um, I became a real estate agent and my clients didn't know if I said I had an appointment Saturday at 8 a.m., they didn't know if I was showing property properties to another client or if I was attending my daughter's soccer game. So that's what I mean with control over my time. I could work at 1 p.m. in the afternoon or I could work at 2 a.m. in the morning. Um, so for me, you know, it was something that allowed me to still have time for my family, but allowed me to grow and to do something that I was passionate about. Now, what led to the start of my other two companies? I mean, it basically came from my experience in the real estate industry. Um, I was able to not only assist my clients, but I entered um, the leadership realm for the real estate industry. And with that, I began to really enjoy mentoring other female entrepreneurs through my role as president of Women's Council Realtors in Austin. And so, you know, I was, I was like, how can I do more of this? How can I make a bigger impact? And the answer that I, was, I received was to start my jewelry company, as the financial arm of the work I really wanted to do in the community. And that work um, included empowering women. And then when I took a deeper dive, it was for creative women entrepreneurs because my company was a jewelry company. And by networking in 
that um, community, I found out that there were a lot of women creators who didn't realize that they were actually running a business. And so I saw that there was the need to be able to guide um, those women and to let them know that, hey, you know, we're gonna take this seriously. We're gonna run a business. We're going to make sure that you are pricing your products, you know, in, in a way that affords you a profit. And um, so I was able to pull together our social business enterprise, Showroom 808, where we actually did that kind of work in the community, Rick. That's fantastic. So, so in, 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 in your case, your jewelry business isn't so much about your unique vision, but about working with uh, other women and helping them achieve uh, their state, make their statement and achieve their potential? Yes, because um, in, in that light, my why or my mission actually came ahead of my business. And so the jewelry company, although it was a, a way for me to self-express and in a way for me to unite women with um, a, a common voice about individuality and, um, you know, choosing items that really represented who we are authentically. Um, it was the financial support for us to really build the community with Showroom 808 and, and provide the physical space that a lot of creative women entrepreneurs would otherwise not be able to financially afford. So what we did in Austin, Texas at um, the Domain Northside is we allowed them to bring in their handmade products, their original designs, fashion designs. Um, if they were a book author, you know, we showcased their, their books, but it gave them a physical presence in the Austin community to bring more awareness to what women, creative women entrepreneurs were doing. That is so cool. That must be really satisfying work too. Yes, it, it, I mean, <laughs> I wore so many hats. Um, you know, I didn't know what day it was uh, most of the time, but no, it, it brought me great joy and we made an impact in the community. Um, even during COVID, you know, we were able to, to keep our doors open when we were allowed to reopen. Um, but it just, you know, provided a different perspective for our community to really feel the impact of what women entrepreneurs could do. Right. Thank you, Sheila. Amazing story. Christina, tell us about your entrepreneurship journey and how Noya Designs came about. Thank you so much, Rick. And thank you so much, Sheila, for sharing your journey with us today. My journey and my foray into entrepreneurship didn't start until I was relatively much, much older. I got my start in the entrepreneurship space by working at my father's telecommunications company right out of high school. And when I started, I was mostly doing customer service, a little bit of graphic design here and there, a little bit of web design to help with the family business. But it wasn't until around 2011 that I actually started running my freelance business or my side hustle, as we now like to say, um, doing graphic design for small businesses in my hometown. And what eventually ended up happening was my dad's business, it never really fully recovered from the 2008 financial crisis. And he also decided to gift the business to me. So in one afternoon, I was answering phone calls and then I now became the CEO. And as someone who had no formal business training, someone who was used to being in an office and just being in her own world, it was definitely a shock. And it definitely was something where I had to learn on the go. 
a couple of years later in 2015, what ended up happening, I was getting many more contracts, many more um, business deals and related to my work as a web designer and a graphic designer that I told my brother and sister, I said, hey, I need some help doing this. I can't do this by myself. I don't want to learn social media. I don't want to become a photographer. I just want to build websites. Can you guys help me? And at that time, I think my sister was just graduating high school and my brother was finishing his first year in university. And they were both like, you know what? I can make a couple extra hundred bucks by just helping you out doing things I would do anyway. Let's do it. So winter 2015 coming into January 2016, we worked on our first project together. And as they say, the rest is history. So that year, Noi Designs was officially registered as a business. So it was no longer just me, myself, and I. And in 2019, I decided to officially close the doors on the company that I was graciously given by my father. And I started running Noya Designs full-time with a dedicated focus to work on supporting, at that time, Canadian nonprofits, as well as solopreneurs across the globe who have an aspect of social good encompassed in the services and the product that they provide to the masses. So it was something I kind of fell into, but as time passed on, I made it a point to fully embrace entrepreneurship. And it is now a very, very big part of who I am and what I bring to the world. Fabulous. And tell me, why would one willingly choose as a niche to serve nonprofits, nonprofits and solo entrepreneurs? That is an amazing question, which has an amazing story. In 2018, we received what I like to call the biggest contract ever at the time. And it was with the Ontario Association of Children's Aid Society. And we were basically tasked with branding the inaugural project called Power Up, which was a three-day symposium for about 300 black and brown youth and young people within the child welfare system. For me as a designer at the time, this was the very first time that I had the opportunity to see my work and the work of my team in the hands, not just of our clients, but our clients' clients. And in this case, it, were, it was children and young people who looked exactly like me, my brother and sister, and who some of them, this was the first time they were meeting their siblings. Unfortunately, their circumstances didn't allow them to grow up in an environment that supported their culture and supported their heritage. And they were basically finding themselves again. And to see the impact of some of the designs we came up with, some of the collateral we designed, the apparel that they were given, it was a, it was a moment that really struck us. And we said, you know what, let's stop working with startups, let's stop working with businesses, let's stop working with mom and pop. Let's focus on helping those organizations that want to help people. And so in 2018, we made that decision to focus exclusively on helping Canadian nonprofits and also service providers who want to help people. So that could come in the form of therapists, counselors, consultants, or people who want to help people. So that's where that transitionary point came for Noria Designs. And that, that, that's a very moving story, but uh, 
do you ever have any trouble collecting uh accounts accounts receivables from from these people again another great question because we get that question a lot because it's in the name right it's nonprofit, but nonprofit doesn't mean non-revenue and we've been able to point ourselves and position ourselves to work with firstly canadian nonprofits that are government funded so they have been able to have a pathway to ensure that they are continually getting funded by various associations, maybe like Ontario Trillium Foundation or the Canadian government. That's the first thing. And the second thing, we really had to develop our pricing structure and also know the value we were providing to nonprofits and knowing that, hey, if you choose to work with Noya, you know that your website will attract the donors, will attract the supporters, will enable you to have your home on the internet, which you can then leverage to grow your revenue and not only make up the investment you made in your marketing, but also be able to give you the funds that you need to be able to support the people you want to support. So we've been able to be very blessed to be able to partner with some larger organizations, which allows us to be a little bit more free when it comes to working with grassroots organizations who may not have the funds or even have the knowledge to get the funding to be able to afford our services. So it balances out quite well. Fantastic. And does the fact that you specialize in these two niches, does that make you more attractive to clients who fall into these categories of nonprofits or solo entrepreneurs? Do they feel seen by you? Do they feel understood? They definitely feel seen and understood because we've now come to the point where we can we know what they want before they open their mouth to say it, and they love that. So before a client comes to us and says, I'm looking for ABCD, we will say, hey, you know, taking a look at what you've done, we believe that ABC and D will help you achieve XYZ. And the look on their face when we were able to verbalize what their needs are, what they were looking for in a website or what they're looking for in some collateral, that sells us to them. So especially being a smaller agency, there are agencies out there who also do the same thing as us that have 50, 100, 2000 members of staff, but we are able to position ourselves because yes, we understand this, the landscape, we understand the terminology, we understand what the goals are, especially on smaller grassroots organizations. And we're also able to show them a really strong body of work where we can say, hey, we've worked with some big names that you, you would recognize, but this is also a really niche or a really unique project that we've worked on that helped a specific demographic of people similar to what you're doing as an example. So it does come in handy, just having the experience and the knowledge to be able to verbalize what executive directors, what communications directors have in mind for their projects and have in mind for their campaigns and being able to show them work to support what we're saying. All right, question for both of you now. Um, before being an entrepreneur, did you feel that you had enough role models to look up to and, and learn from? Let's start with you, Sheila, as our founder in the US. Well, I'm a more seasoned woman, so I've been, I've been out here for a while now. Back when um, I was a young person, I'm an African-American woman, and so, I didn't have any role models that looked like me. And uh, 
you know, when I was interested in my first career was in retail. I did retail buying store management. I worked for New York men's manufacturer. And so who I looked to when I was a young person was Coco Chanel. And the reason I liked her is because she was doing something, uh, she was ahead of her time. And she was doing something that women um, weren't supposed to be doing. Um, you know, whether she came out with um, more casual looking clothes um, and she came out with um, some jersey fabrications and, um, and even, you know, she wore man's pants. And so I like the fact that she was her own person and she did not, um, you know, color within the lines, let's say. So that was who I looked to as a young person. Now, as I, as I got older, um, I just briefly remember uh, a lady by the name of, well, she went by B. Smith. Barbara Smith and uh, B. Smith started out as a fashion model and she was actually the first um, African-American woman on the cover of Mademoiselle magazine. And so she took that opportunity with her notoriety in the fashion industry and she actually became a businesswoman. She became an entrepreneur and a book author. Um, you know, she was also a chef. So she turned into uh, a Martha Stewart type um, personality. And I don't know if y'all are familiar with Martha Stewart in well, Canada. We all know Martha. <laughs> you know Martha? Okay, so she was um, a lifestyle uh, maven, so to speak, um, uh, you know, and so I had a, a sense of her, but I think the most popular role model of a person who actually looked like me that, um, that I began to become aware of was Oprah. And even though Oprah, you know, was not aligned with the, the industries that I was interested in, it showed me um, every day <laughs> on TV, um, that there was an African-American woman who uh, was doing something that she loved and doing an excellent job at it, who was actually um, someone who brought people together and, and, and not separated us, um, you know, like, like some, some people um, want to keep everyone divisive here in the United States. But um, I, I looked upon her as a fantastic role model of a woman who was doing something she wanted to do and she was doing an excellent job at it. And, you know, Rick, just to back up a little bit again, because I am a seasoned woman, I was raised to go to college in order to get the best education that I could in order to go work in corporate America. Entrepreneurship would never, you know, was a discussion at my dining room table. Um, and so I wish that I would have had a role model as a young person who showed me that this was an avenue that I could pursue. Um, but I came about it, you know, like I said, through, um, you know, just by chance um, when I was a stay-at-home mom. And, uh, and, you know, it's exactly what I needed based on the benefits that it had to offer to jumpstart you know, my role back in uh, the business world. Mm -hmm. uh, I can only say that you have certainly chosen your role models well. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's interesting how you were, were, were drawn to the entrepreneurs, even if corporate America was calling. <laughs> Christina, 
I don't, I, I don't know if, 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 if you had role models that, that you looked to as you were growing up, maybe in fact, it's your dad. I don't know. This is a really good question. I know I've said that multiple times during this podcast, but it's because the questions are good. And I also kind of, um, they're definitely really introspective for me. And I will definitely say for the first few years of my entrepreneurship journey, my dad was definitely my role model. Um, and then after a few years, that perspective changed. And then I didn't have any role models and I didn't have any mentors. And I definitely think that had I had mentors, I would definitely have been in a different position as an entrepreneur when I first started my businesses. When I essentially did a little bit more digging, did a bit more research, found stuff out for myself. I'm someone who's always been a self-learner. I'm someone who believes that learning never stops. It doesn't stop after school. You have to continue learning and continue, and continue to better yourself. That was the way in which I learned. And so there wasn't really a specific person or a group of people that I looked up to and said, you know, I want to build an agency like them. Um, when I started my business, fast forward to even in the past two to three years, I still don't think I have role models, but I feel that I've been able to grow and kind of change the, the vision I have for my business based on the outpouring and the infilling of support and advice that I've received from my newfound mentors. So to answer the question very simply, I don't think I've ever had a role model. I don't think there's ever been someone I've looked to and said, I want to glean from this person. I want to learn from this person. And I think that's mostly because I didn't really choose entrepreneurship for myself. It was something I fell into. And I've always struggled with accepting myself as an entrepreneur and accepting that I'm a businesswoman. And so the blinders really were on for most of my career journey as an entrepreneur. And I also feel that a role model isn't necessary when you are building a vision and you have an idea of what you want. And also I feel that my entrepreneurship story is unique in the sense that it wasn't something that I, I always like to say when I'm giving talks that, you know, people ask me the question, you know, why, why did you start your business? And I always say these bills, like the reason I started my business was to pay bills. <laughs> and so it's not really the, you know, lovey-dovey response, but it is the response that is mine. So no, <laughs> ro mo no role models for me. <laughs> hey, Christina, I hear what you're saying about not having any role models, but you know, for me, um, especially with the, the Oprah, you know, figure, it, it was more of an inspiration, like who inspired me? Um, and um, so I would say, you know, is there someone who inspired you that on your lowest of days that you look to to help, you know, get you through or get you to the, to the next phase um, of your business? Because, you know, my experience has been entrepreneurship can be a very lonely profession. And so, you know, those are those times, there are those times when you need some inspiration to, to just reinforce your dedication to whatever it is that you're doing. So did you, do you have someone who inspires you? You know what? I don't. 
I really don't. I think the vision that I've held for my business, that's been the inspiration. It's been the people uh, that I want to serve, the people that I want to support, that those people are my inspiration. Those are the people that when it gets hard and it gets difficult, those are the people who keep me going and, and help me want to build a better business. So I'm not sure if, if maybe my clients or the people who are doing the work on the ground, if those people are my role models, but the people that I draw inspiration from more times than not when it comes to my business are those kids that I saw um, who were in child welfare. It was those people who they're able to donate or those people who are able to say, you know, because of the resource I found on your website, I was able to do A, B, C, D. Those are the people who inspire me, not necessarily big name entrepreneurs or local entrepreneurs or an athlete or an, an, an actress. That's just how it's been for me. Um, and that's my story. And, and, and then sticking to it. Well, and that's wonderful. Um, and so, yeah, a role model doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a celebrity or an athlete, but, um, but that's wonderful that, that, that what you just said lights your fire and, and keeps you moving forward. So congratulations. Absolutely. Christine, I'm wondering if there's a couple aspects of the entrepreneurial uh, ecosystem or culture that you've seen in Brampton or the Toronto area or Canada. What excites you? I've always been, I don't want to say critical, but I've, I've always made sure to raise my hand and ask questions when it does come to the entrepreneurship space in Canada as a whole when compared to entrepreneurship in the United States. So there was a point in time in Noya's life where I want to say almost 100% of our revenue came from America. And in working with American entrepreneurs, there was a massive mindset shift that happened in our company. And it was a mindset shift that when I brought it back to Canada, quote unquote, it was very hard for it to take root and to take hold. I think one thing I've always said on social media, like in my Instagram stories or, or what I'm like sharing, like BTS of, of my life as an entrepreneur is that the, the way that in my mind, I see certain things happen when it comes to entrepreneurship culture is that it first takes place in America and then it takes place in the United Kingdom and then Canada gets it. And a really good example I'll give about that is podcasts. So podcasts, especially indie podcasts, grassroots podcasts, they really took hold and took root, I would say, in the States first. And then I noticed that a lot of support was coming out from vendors like Spotify to UK creators who were doing podcasts as well. I started listening and seeing a lot more um, podcast creators. A lot of them were getting sponsored by Spotify. A lot of them were now transitioning from their nine to five into becoming full-time podcasters. 
and even they were now diversifying. So it wasn't only that they were getting a um, residual income from Spotify themselves, but they were now doing things like live shows and merch. And now several of the podcasts I listened to from like three years ago have now released books that are like bestsellers and, and things of that nature. And I think now we are just now kind of seeing podcasts and podcasting kind of growing in Canada and especially in the entrepreneurship and startup space here in Canada. But all the podcasters I was listening to from the United Kingdom and from America have completely not so much moved away from podcasting itself, but they've turned their podcasting business into an empire. And those are some of the thoughts that I've always shared when it comes to the Canadian ecosystem. Sometimes I find that we are too slow to adapt things, whereas our, our, our friends and our family in the United States, they, they see an idea, they jump on it, they run with it. And institutions in America support creativity and entrepreneurship a lot faster and a lot fuller than I would say the Canadian marketplace does. And so I would love to see Canadian entrepreneurs be a bit bold with what they're doing. And also for organizations like the Canadian government, like municipalities to support the work that Canadian entrepreneurs are doing so that when we step a toe out into uncharted territory, we're not going to sink. That's my opinion. <laughs> wow, wow. I, I, I've always thought that Canadian entrepreneurs need to think bigger. It doesn't always come easy to us. Um, disappointed to hear that you share the same opinion, but uh, yeah. you know the yeah, opportunities are out there. And exactly. here we are with a woman from Texas of all places. <laughs> Any trouble thinking big out there? That's funny. I, I mean, I've lived in Texas for what, probably 22 years now, but I'm originally from the East Coast of the United States. Um, and so what I found to be true about Texas and California, um, you know, nationwide is it seems like no matter what organization I'm with, um, if we go to a national meeting, they kind of look to Texas and California for advice and opinion, or in a lot of cases, you know, we are in Texas at the forefront. Um, you know, I know in the real estate industry, uh, that was true. Uh, and, and also our market in Texas was totally different from the rest of the United States. And then our market in Austin is different from other markets in Texas. So it's a unique unique place to be, Rick. Um, you know, it always keeps you on your toes. Um, I, I just think now that Austin is becoming overly saturated um, with a lot of people, you know, who came for maybe South by Southwest or ACL, one of our, you know, conferences that we had and, and they fell in love with Austin and decided to pick up a move there that unfortunately the when I moved there you know 22 years ago it was keep Austin weird which you know I totally you know tapped into that um, because it was all about creatives and individuality now I think with the influx of people from all over the world moving to Austin it's turning into 
a, a bigger city. It's turning into keep Austin bougie. You know, it's like now we have to book reservations almost a month out for some of the finer restaurants. The cost of housing has just skyrocketed um, beyond, you know, what other local markets have done. And so Austin is changing, um, but I, I do like the fact that that we have some of the most creative minds there in, um, in, in both the art and technology. Um, so we're kind of morphing into a San Francisco. Um, I, I, I hope we don't you know, get there all the way uh, because that's why a lot of the Californians are moving to Austin just because it's so hard to have a business. Um, and this is what I'm hearing in California because um, of the costs associated with it, in addition to some of the, the government um, policies that they have in place. Um, and so Texas looks really good to a lot of businesses. And, and that's why we're seeing the influx of, of people there. But the sad part about that is it's forcing people who, who are from Austin, um, you know, it's forcing them to shift and move away. You know, they have to move further away from the city because of affordability, um, or they have to move into other cities. Like I know for African-Americans um, who are in business, a lot of new businesses are opening up in Pflugerville. And this is an area outside of the city. Um, it's, it's, it's actually its own city, um, but you know, they have to relocate other places to continue to do the, the, the work that they've done, the businesses that they now um, are running, in addition to the lifestyle that they're able to, to lead um, there. So you know, it's a double-edged sword, um, so to speak, to be at the forefront of where everyone wants to be or, or where everyone looks to. Um, but it does have you know, some, some negatives and positives um, that, that go with it. Well, do tell your, your weird friends, Sheila, that uh, Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, Edmonton, we got a lot of cities that will embrace the weird. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll pass that along and, and they're probably be more happy to uh, to entertain that, especially with the 110 degrees we've had here the last couple of weeks. Oh my gosh. Wondering, um, both of you, this is the rapid fire portion of our show. If there was one thing you could do to enhance the entrepreneurship zeitgeist, the, the prospects for entrepreneurs in your community, what do you think that would be? Christina, we could start with you. Access to credit allowing smaller entrepreneurs who have brilliant ideas, who can put together a solid plan, giving them more credit and giving them credit faster for them to be able to build their businesses. Sheila? My focus is on women entrepreneurship just because of, you know, I am a woman and I understand the different challenges that we have and the way that we do business. Um, and, you know, what Christina said about um, financing, you know, a lot of women, we bootstrap our, our companies, right? Um, and so either we can't get the financing, especially for some African-American women, just because, you know, we don't have those um angel investors, um, or we're not um, taken seriously in business, uh, where, um, you know, capital is, is, is tossed our way or thrown our way. Um, but we bootstrap our businesses and we actually run our business in a different way. So for me, it would be just understanding. I know when I was able to secure 
the uh, physical space at Domain Northside, which is one of the poshest shopping districts that we have in Austin. You know, a lot of people who came into our showroom, uh, they were surprised. And, and I would get these kind of conversations going. They would say, oh, it's so beautiful in here. And, and on one hand, and then they would be surprised that an African American woman actually owned it and she was showcasing um, the designs and the, the products of other women of color. It, it was a disconnect for them. And so, you know, I would say for, for us just to bring more awareness that women of color are in business and we're about our business, we have excellent products and services, and we would like for you know, consumers to, to entertain purchasing our products or services from us, you know, along with entertaining other companies and, and not just when something happens you know, in the African-American community like the George Floyd or you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, when, when those things are heightened or something tragic has happened, then all of a sudden we have our community wanting to embrace us and wanting to purchase items from us. But when those things kind of die down, they disappear. So it's like, do we have great products and services that are competitive that can, you know, uh, fulfill your, your needs? Do we have these only when something tragic happened or do we have these items every day? So for me, Rick, it was, you know, it, it would be having the community consider us as business owners with products and services, just like they consider other businesses of people who are not of color. Right. I, I don't know, Christina, it sounds like a job for Noya Design to me, but I'll let you follow up with Sheila later. So um, both of you are featured in Startup Canada's series called Can-Am Stories, which is a campaign showcasing women founders in the US and Canada in partnership with the US Embassy. And together, both countries are committed to building back better uh, during and after the pandemic. Just wondering if each of you has any advice or thoughts on ways to continue to strengthen entrepreneurship and support women entrepreneurs in both countries. Oh, most definitely. I mean, you know, for me, it's all about relationships. And I learned that quickly in the real estate industry um, with, with clients. And, you know, you really have to be able to um, have that business in a funnel that, that's ready for the next transaction. And for me, it came from building relationships with people in order to um, become, in order for them to become your raving fan, right? And um, by that, I mean that they would now tell their friends and family about you. And hopefully you get at least three referrals back from that transaction. That was kind of like our goal. But, um, but I take that with me everywhere I go, Rick. It's all about relationships and the quality of those relationships because people like to do business with people they like or people they see some of themselves in, right? Um, and so for women entrepreneurs in, to do business on a, a global platform, I think it's important for us to have conversations, for us to establish communities, and for us to look forward to collaborating whenever we can with each other. Um, you know, I'm a big advocate for that support system 
And, you know, I, I love what Startup Canada is providing Canadian entrepreneurs and then reaching across those borders in order to make it make sense for people in the United States and people in Canada to work with each other. Christina, any thoughts? I agree um, 100% with Sheila. I Further to the very first comment I made, I think, I think the supports are there. I just, I don't, I don't think people know about them. Especially, I would say specifically in Canada, I think, I feel like we, we are trying, like, not to say that, I know that like previously, previous comments, I was a bit harsh, but I feel like over the years, the supports have been slowly coming, but I do want to reiterate that if we could just find a way to just make or help Canadian entrepreneurs be more confident with working across the border, I think we could really build back better in a very impactful way. And for me, my biggest, my heart's desire is always to support the local business. And I think the world over local businesses have been touched by the pandemic in some way, shape or form. And I think we're all trying to figure out ways as to how we can build back better. And I think it may not be too far off to say, why don't we consider trading with our closest ally and our closest partner? But it can be, and it can definitely seem very, very hard and difficult to do that. But I think it's something that I, again, I wanna reiterate, let's try it out. Let's utilize resources like Startup Canada. Another resource that I think a lot of people don't use enough is the local city business centers. Um, sometimes I'm so surprised when I, when I go to my incubator, which is in, I think, Canada's fifth largest and fastest growing city. And like, it needs to be busier. But I think sometimes, especially with the rise of the micro entrepreneur, it can be hard to see outside of what you're building in front of you. So I agree with everything Sheila said. And I just, I, I think that we can, we can possibly build that better, much faster, much stronger if we partner together. Absolutely. Well, listen, thank you so much to both of you for all your thoughts on this topic. We've been talking to Christina Guerra, the founder of Noya Designs, and Sheila Hawkins-Bucklew in Austin, Texas, with Hawkins-Bucklew Jewelry Designs and uh, Showroom 808, um, two remarkable women entrepreneurs really leading the field. And I'm hoping that they keep talking after this podcast is over and to find some ways to work together, because I think there's, uh, uh, in all this talk of partnerships and 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 working with people, uh that you like i i think there's an opportunity here and let's uh keep on creating these relationships and building these mentorships and strengthening all these communities christina and sheila thank you so much appreciate it thank you thanks christina it was nice chatting with you christina how do we find you so the best place to get a hold of me funny enough is actually on tiktok so I'm trying out a new thing, a new video platform, and um, I'm really loving TikTok. So you can find me on TikTok at TikTok at my full name, Christina Gura. 
And for Noya Designs, you can reach us directly on our website, Noya Designs. That's N-O-Y-A, designs with an S, dot com. Sheila, how do we get a hold of you? Well, one place you won't find me is on TikTok. <laughs> but, but, uh, I think Christina will change her mind about that. No, that's okay. Um, but uh, yeah, our website for all of our companies is hawkinsbucklew.com. Uh, that's Hawkins Bucklew without the hyphen dot com. And you can find me on LinkedIn or Facebook and everything is at Hawkins Bucklew. All right. Thank you so much, both of you. I, I hope this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And thanks for all you're doing for entrepreneurs in your communities. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence. <laughs>